This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Irreverent. Entertaining. Cool. You're listening to L.A. Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. You can find me online through my website, which is nolatherapy.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy. And from there, you can do several things. You can reach out to me if you're interested in being a guest on this show. You're able to book sessions to meet with me from anywhere in the world via phone, Skype, or FaceTime. I have physical office locations in New Orleans and Los Angeles. From NOLA Therapy, you can listen to archived episodes of this show and subscribe to this show through the link to both iTunes and Google Play, which I would appreciate so much, as well as if you have enjoyed what you have been hearing, please support my show through the crowdfunding campaign I have with Patreon.com. There's a link at NOLA Therapy for that, and I just thank you in advance for your support. So within a couple minutes, we are going to be with Christine Van Lu. I want to give her a proper introduction because it really sets the stage for why she's doing what she has begun to do as a motivational speaker. Christine Van Lu is speaking to audiences around the world, helping you learn to create a larger version of yourself. So today we'll be talking about themes of vision development, how to work with our fear, what to do regarding our value and worth. Are we good enough? How do we cope when we feel like we're not good enough? How how to work with our belief systems and change beliefs that we don't want anymore based on looking for the whys, the whys of living our lives and our purpose. So some existential perspectives today will be coming up. So just so you can know who Christine Van Loo is, she started in acro gymnastics at the age of eight and self-proclaims that she wasn't even that good at it, which evidence shows otherwise because she went on to be Olympic female athlete of the decade. She is the only acro gymnast to win seven consecutive national championships in acro gymnastics. She was inducted into the U.S. Acro Gymnastics Hall of Fame as well as the World Acrobatics Society Gallery of Honor. She was named Athlete of the Decade by the U.S. Sports Acrobatics Federation and did all of this before the age of 19. So you'd think that'd be enough to just kind of call it quits. But Christine's going to talk about her journey that led her to performing in front of over 250,000 people every year as she is a performer with Cirque de la Symphonie touring around the world. 
In addition to that, she opened solo for Paul McCartney on his world tour, has performed at the Grammys twice at the American Music Awards. She's performed with Sarah McLaughlin, No Doubt, Aerosmith, and she's done stunts in movies, including Rush Hour 2. I want to ask her to tell us the story of what Jackie Chan told her when she had to repeat an aerial sequence over 50 times to get it filmed correctly without complaining. She's performed in front of the King of Malaysia, a royal Zulu princess in Africa, and performs at venues such as Madison Square Garden, the Sydney Opera House, the Kennedy Center, and she choreographed the aerial acts for Britney Spears' world tour and worked with NBC's Reality Circus. When Christine is not touring around the world, she co-founded and co-owns with her husband, Jonathan Conant, Airborne Arts, which is a retreat facility in Costa Rica where they host aerial and yoga retreats where you can live and stay uh, overlooking a 600-foot waterfall with birds and and just living in paradise when she's not touring around the world. Christine's also a master teacher. I have trained with her on the silks in both New Orleans and Los Angeles, and I'm just so pleased to have you on. Welcome, Christine. Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm really happy to be here. How are you today? I am fantastic. Super happy. Are you in Costa Rica today at home? I am. I am okay. I'm at home today. Yeah. So where do you want to start our dialogue about your growth and development and now the way you're working to inspire others? Um, well, I guess ultimately my story is about reinventing myself. I've been an acrobat and an aerialist and a teacher and I have a retreat center and a speaker. And I, I love to dismantle the idea of who I am so that I can rebuild it up. So I guess I'd like to talk about that today. Yeah, I so. know you've done that. Um, from when you started as a younger person, marrying your first boyfriend and being an officer's wife in Florida, and then seeing your friend audition just re-spark your passion that you had for acro gymnastics and performance. I don't know if that's a place to start like from the sure. beginning. Well, I guess I would like to start with um, saying, for example, sadly, I am. I think that most people never consciously decide who they really want to be. They just think this is who I am. And so consequently, they get what they get. And they keep getting that. Now, I believe that if you take the reins of your life, you have to choose who you are in every moment. And I've been coming up with ways to do that through my life. I have three ways that I have found work for me. The first I'd love one, to hear about them. Yeah. Yeah. The first one is, I call it undefine yourself. And it starts with asking yourself, who am I? Now, there's no right or wrong response to this. You're, and your answers may change, but who am I is the most powerful question you can ask yourself because how you choose to answer even on a daily basis determines the outcome of your day and of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, When you learn to undefine yourself and you dismantle the fixed idea of who you are, you realize that you are more than the stories that you tell about your life. You are the storyteller and you get to choose to be the hero of your story. And that to me is a really strong concept and it's exciting, you know? Yeah. Um, now, if up until I was 19, if someone would have asked me, who are you? I would have answered, I'm an, ac- I'm an acrobat. Like my life revolved around acrobatic gymnastics. Uh, it was a, it's a partnering gymnastics sport. And I represented the United States internationally in World Cup. And I was featured on ESPN's World Class Women and on CBS Wide World of Sports. 
on the covers of International Gymnast Magazine and National Geographic Magazine. Everything I knew supported the idea that I was an acrobat. Mm-hmm. But, but at age 19, when my acrobatic partner quit, suddenly I was no longer an acrobat. And as a college sophomore, I had never dated or, you know, chit-chatted on the phone with my peers or had my first kiss. And I yeah. felt like a ghost between, you know, trapped between two lives. And in one life, I was a rock star. But in the other, I didn't exist. And my sense of identity collapsed. So, like, what do you do, like, when your sense of identity collapses? Yeah, well, what did you do? Yeah, well, what I did was I married my first boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh-huh. Don't get me wrong, he's a really great guy, and we're yeah. still friends. But, but, oh, that's great! Yeah, yeah. But I was really young, and in hindsight, it was hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, it was just a silly thing for me to do. So, from the outside, it looked like I had the perfect life because we mm-hmm. moved to a villa overlooking the Mediterranean Sea in Italy, and where he was stationed in the Navy. And I became a housewife, and I joined the obligatory officers' wives' club, and I went to all the compulsory tea parties and luncheons and officers' dinners. And I made polite small talk and I swallowed my controversial opinions as my husband requested. And I wore more conservative outfits in order to blend. And I basically behaved like the perfect Stepford wife. Yeah. And when my mom would call me and ask me what's wrong, because she could always tell, Mm. I would lie to her and I would tell her nothing, mama, everything is fine. But on my free time, I would imagine all the ways that I could run away. Now, because I had grown up as a champion, I didn't identify myself as a, as a quitter. I identified myself as somebody who stuck in there. So I stayed. And for the next seven Mm -hmm. years, I numbed my emotions while asking myself, who am I? Now, during that time, we moved back to the States, to Florida, and I became a sports and fitness instructor. And I started teaching everything, acrobatics, gymnastics, aerobics. I even taught a 50-year-old clown to do a dive roll into a laundry basket. No way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, I was getting a lot of work, but no matter what I did, I felt like I was waiting for my real life to begin. Ah. Now, during this time, a friend of mine drove to Orlando to audition for Cirque du Soleil at Brown's Gymnastics, where I was teaching. Um, And I told him, oh, I'll go and watch you and I'll be your cheerleader. You know, I just went to support him. And I sat down in the bleachers and I saw 25 athletes and gymnasts and Olympians warming up on the mat. And my hands started shaking, which is strange because I never did that. So I gripped the bleachers and my body started rocking back and forth. And then I realized, oh, my God, like I'm looking at my life from the outside. Mm. These are my people, you know? Yes. And it was like that's where I belong. Exactly. That's where I belong. And then without even thinking about it, my body stood up and my feet walked to the table and my hand wrote my name down on the audition list. And I spent the next seven hours auditioning in in like this creative athletic boot camp. And we were tested on strength, flexibility, dance, choreography, improbability, tumbling, acting, interviews, everything. And that evening, instead of driving home exhausted, (laughs) I felt fully alive, like in the first time in years. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't expect them to choose me because five years had passed since I had competed and I had no acrobatics partner to show what I could really do. Um, But a few days later, the phone rang and I picked it up 
and it was Cirque du Soleil's casting director, Nicolette Naum. And she said, I'm calling to offer you a contract to tour the world with Cirque du Soleil. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't even speak. I was so stunned and excited. I mean, she was offering me my dream, really. Yeah, yes. Uh, and then my husband stepped into the doorframe and the dream shattered because mm. I realized I couldn't just run away and join the circus. I mean, because I was a wife with a husband in the middle of getting his master's and I was a teacher with the new students who had just registered for my classes and I was an apartment renter who had just signed a new lease and I was all of these things yes. that didn't cash with this dream, you know? Your so, commitments that you had. Exactly, exactly. So I told the casting director, I'm sorry, but I can't offer the, accept this offer. And she told me, Christine, you should perform. Performing is inside you. And I knew that she was right. But I hung up and I watched my dream like a train pulling from the station without me. Now, I put myself on automatic pilot to, to get through the days after that. It, yeah. And it wasn't like my life was that bad or I was tortured or anything. But it's just that it wasn't the life that I dreamed for myself. Now, Around this time, I met, I hope I'm not going on and on too much. No, this is, we have so much time. Please, this is interesting. Because it really sets up for who you are now and who you've become, which I think is important for listeners to hear. Because we've all done things just because we had to do them. We've, we believe we have to do them. And then to really break out of that, which you start to do. Right. Well, around this time, I met a man on an airplane named Paul Bernabe, whose job it was to help teens develop their potential. Now, I wasn't a teen anymore, but he shared something with me that changed my life and my mindset and my perspective. And it became the first step in my creating a better life for myself. And I call it, again, undefining yourself. And he started by asking me, who are you? Mm. Now, I told him, I'm Christine. And he said, no, that's your name. And I said, oh, well, I'm a fitness instructor. And he said, no, that's your job title. So I said, Paul, I'm a married woman in case you might be hitting on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he said, nope, that's your marital status. Um, so I didn't get where he was going with this. Yeah. But he asked me to close my eyes. So I did. And he said this. He said, imagine you were born into the world, an empty shopping cart. And imagine your life is like a grocery store. And since the moment you were born, you've been rolling down the aisles and items have been falling into your cart by default. Or you or other people have been placing them in on purpose. And for years now, you've been identifying yourself as these items in the cart. As a single mom or a businessman or an American or a Democrat or an acrobat or any of the ways that you might identify yourself. But the truth of the matter is you were never any of the items in the cart. You were always the cart itself. Ah. Now, it took me a while to understand this. It took me about six months. The day that I got it was the day that my cart tipped over. The day that my husband and I decided to end our marriage. The mm -hmm. day that like all the labels I'd been wearing for the last six, seven years suddenly fell off. Like I was no longer his girl. I was no longer a Navy officer's wife. I had just quit my job, so I wasn't a fitness instructor anymore. I, I didn't want to live in Orlando anymore, so I wasn't a Floridian. And I looked down at what I was wearing, and I realized that I'd been dressing according to my husband's taste. 
So mm-hmm. even my own sense of style was gone. Now, I didn't, I walked away from that relationship with a suitcase of clothes. That was it. And I threw all the clothes out. I had no stuff, no home, no idea of where I was going to go live or what I was going to do for a living. And for the second time in my life, my sense of identity collapsed. Yeah. Only that time, instead of feeling fear, I felt freed because I was just thinking that freedom. Exactly. Exactly. Because when I search inside for who am I, I finally realized that who I am is unlimited. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it was amazing, like discovery for me. So I didn't like rush to fill my shopping cart back up because I realized I only have this certain amount of space inside me. Like, so I was very selective after that and what I put in my life. So since that day, I, I have to say my life has gotten a lot better. And you've already said a lot of the things that I've done that has all happened since that moment. All of the things in my life. Well, I think, though, for our listeners to know, it hasn't come easy. You left that relationship starting over, which felt free. You could have gone anywhere, literally, in the world and done anything. And I think that can be overwhelming at at the same time that it's liberating. Mm -hmm. And you started taking jobs to do what you needed to do and teach yourself, which I'd love you to tell our listeners, the silks and the aerial acts, which I trained for four years with a mutual friend, Lorelai Ash, and it's excruciating. I can't imagine teaching myself what you have taught yourself. So can you take our listeners through from that moment, your, yeah. your rediscovery and recreation of yourself? Cause it wasn't easy. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that takes us, I guess, to the second step, which is elevate your choices. So the first thing I did was I looked at my shopping cart and I was like, what is in here? You know, what is, what is it that comprises my life? Um, and I started slowly, like looking, you can start slowly with like looking at the items in your wardrobe to make it easy because a lot of people have things in their cart. Like they have kids in their cart. They have a job that pays the bills. They have committed relationships. So, you know, I'm not going to ask you to walk away from your life with an empty suitcase like I did. (laughs) Right. (laughs) If you can help it. (laughs) Exactly. So start small, like look at the items in your wardrobe, for example, and whatever it is that you're looking at. Ask yourself this little question with a huge impact. This is what I always ask. Ask yourself, is this a hell yes? Because if it's not and you choose to wear it, eat it, date it, buy it, do it for a living, marry it, waste one second of your precious life on it, then you are cluttering your life with mediocrity. But even worse, you're telling yourself that you don't matter. So ask yourself, no matter what your choice is, is this a hell yes? So that's what I did. That's what I started doing. And um, I started discovering Ariel and learning French and, you know, painting and all these fun things. When I started asking, is this a hell yes? You have to listen to your gut. Now, I have to say that at first, my relationships improved dramatically by asking this question. Mm-hmm. Um, which made space to meet my husband, Jonathan, who's definitely a hell yes. Yes, he um, is. <laughs> You've met him. Um, uh, yes. Hello, Jonathan. <laughs> I'd love to have him on my show as well. Yeah, he would be great. He would be That'd great. be awesome. Yeah. So when we were first dating, we decided to move in together and we went apartment hunting and we found a cute little place on, in Santa Monica on Main Street. And it was in this trendy neighborhood and it was really cute, but it was kind of noisy and a bit small and we weren't sure really what choice to make. So we went driving around the neighborhood, fretting over what to decide. 
Finally, I turned to him and I asked him, baby, is, is this a hell yes or not? Right. You know, and he pulled the car over and he thought about it and he answered from his gut because that's where hell yes has come from, from your gut. Yeah. If you don't feel it in your gut, it's not a hell yes. And he said, no, it's not. So I said, well, that decides it. And we turned it down. Now, thank God we did because the following morning, freshly posted on Craigslist was it, in a reduced rate that fit our budget perfectly was our dream apartment. And it had seven French doors overlooking the ocean in Malibu. And we lived there for six years, <laughs> six, seven years. Is that the place that I went to overlooking yes. the ocean and you slept yes. outside? Okay, listeners, yes. this was the most beautiful <laughs> place, a beautiful canopy bed outside on a deck that you slept under the stars. Wow. So the universe brought you what you wanted because you said no to yeah. what wasn't a hell yes. You have to make space for the hell yeses. You yeah. have to say no to things that are not hell yeses. Absolutely. No. Now, um, if you don't, like, there's people out there that haven't found their hell yeses. I didn't find my hell yeses for a while. So what I would suggest, if that's the case, that you venture in a new territory to do things that are unfamiliar and inconsistent with how you see yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to tell you a story about what Jonathan did. So when he was 38, he was working in psychology and writing music for movies and television, which sounds great but he was losing sleep trying to meet these impossible stressful deadlines and he was overweight and getting unhealthy and he just wasn't happy. So he ventured to Ixtapa, Mexico to a club med where he discovered the flying trapeze. Mm. He almost peed his pants standing on the platform <laughs> the first time. He yeah. was so scared. But when he took his first swing and he passed through fear to the other side, he was completely hooked on trapeze. Jonathan went home and he sold his business and a half of his share in a house. And he went on to build the largest school of flying trapeze in the world. So find your hell yeses. This is what happens when you do. Stretch yourself. Yes. Like, you know, go deeper to where that little voice inside you says, yes, go there. Do that. Even Jonathan. Yeah. Sorry, Jonathan's, trapeze school, Jonathan's trapeze school was in New York, L.A., D.C., um, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. I didn't realize is. he did that yeah. at 38. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he sold it. He sold it, but it's still going strong. Yeah. Yeah. He did that at 38. Never done trapeze before. Went on to create so the both of you, both of you, completely restarting as adults and in new directions. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And then finding each other to co-create what you have now in Costa Rica, which I want to talk about at some point. Mm -hmm. Your retreat center airborne arts so whenever you feel like that's appropriate yeah. christine sure um well let's go to the third step i guess yeah which is emulating your way into being so um first you need to figure out what do you really want you know i wanted to be a great acro gymnast when i was a kid but like i said or actually like you mentioned earlier I was the furthest thing from being athletic. I started just as an, a hyperactive little girl with a ridiculous <laughs> dream to fly. <laughs> and I spent a great deal of my time jumping off porches and tables, flapping my arms like wings. And I, was, I looked really silly and I was just a silly little girl. Now, my coaches, everybody knew that I wasn't made for athletics. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, there was Stacy Tutton. Now, she was everything I wanted to be. She was a four-time national champion, Navy SEAL strength in the body of a 14-year-old girl, and she had perfect masterpiece handstands. She was perfect to me. 
Now, around this time, my mom went to a team fun. I'm sorry, what? Oh, nothing. I just that was my static. echo and myself. My mom <laughs> went to a team fundraising garage sale, and she came home with Stacy Tutton's leotard. Oh. Uh, this to me was like the equivalent of a superhero costume. And I didn't know whether to try it on or to frame it, but I put it on and I didn't take it off for two weeks straight. <laughs> wow. Now, it, it looked like just some normal black polyester leotard, but in truth, it was magic because normally my handstands look like a wet spaghetti noodle. But while wearing this leotard, I became Stacy. And I would point my toes like Stacy did and engage my rib cage and tighten my muscles. And very soon on, my handstands became as good as Stacy's handstands. Now, I know that's all about pretending, but it has to do with a concept. I, I call it, the, or I've heard it called the be, do, have method. Mm-hmm. Now, you can think about it in this way. You can live your life in three different ways by rearranging these three words, be, do, have. You can live in the victim order, which is have, do, be, which is like, for example, if only I had the money and the house and the supermodel, then Mm -hmm. I would be able to do the things I want to do to be the person I want to be. Or you can choose the worker order, the do, have, be orders, which is like, if only I can get all the tasks done on my list that will get me the things that I want, then I will be the person I want to be. Ah, yeah. Or there's the... The champion order, which is be, do, have, which is the most powerful, which is I already am the person I want to be, which makes me naturally gravitate towards doing the things that are in alignment with who I am, which brings me the things I want. I mean, this is just a mindset, but it changes everything. I think what you're saying is so important. If we can pause there for a moment with starting with being and who we are and really occupying that space, because Otherwise, I think we spend a lot of times exhausting ourselves and and many successful people are the doers. But I think there's only so far you can go because we deplete ourselves. I've been one of the doers. Let me achieve through doing and I become exhausted. So I've embraced this beingness and the mindset that you're talking about and sharing with others and that we really have to be on our own side to the exclusion Mm -hmm. of every other opinion and evidence otherwise that we really need to create a vision that is based upon our hell yes, deep down, as outrageous as it may sound, look or seem, and then take baby steps and the universe opens the doors step by step. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Yep. And you can apply, you know, you can apply this method to the smallest things. Like, for example, if somebody asks you, how are you? Like, instead of saying, I'm fine, or I'm not too bad, you can say, I am magnificent, happy, better than ever, you know? Yes. You get to choose who you are in every moment. And Christine, do you find that for me, gratitude, a practice of gratitude helps me truly feel that oh, yeah. way by, by appreciating where I am exactly right now, knowing everything hasn't manifested that I see, but I'm really grateful for everything. So can you talk about the role of gratitude in, in your life and, and development? Absolutely. Well, I every day I actually think of prayer as gratitude. I, I don't yeah. usually ask for that many things. I usually just say thank you for, you know, my health and my job that I love. And I'm always being aware of great, being grateful for the things in my life, especially even the small things, you know, like, thank you that the sky is so beautiful today. And 
that I'm alive, you know, and I get to cuddle with my husband. And, you know, yes. there's so many things to be grateful for because I believe that so many of us focus on the negativity. And, you know, our lives are so short. Why live them negatively? I agree. Yeah. So what would be, so these, the three, undefining yourself, elevating your choices and emulating your way into being. Yes, absolutely. Can I tell you a little story about emulating that I learned when I was um, 16? Please tell all your stories. (laughs) So this is the donut story. (laughs) Okay. So when I was 16 in high school and I was an elite athlete still representing the United States, um, my parents used to drive me to high school every morning and we'd stop at Dunk or Tasty Donuts <laughs> before school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and every mo- morning we got a warm glazed donut. Yeah. Um, and then it started becoming two warm glazed donuts. And when it became three, I started getting really worried. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because, you know, I'm an athlete and there, there are consequences to eating warm glazed donuts every morning if you're an athlete. Yes. And I, so at first I thought, I have to stop doing this. And I tried to quit, but I was addicted to the donuts and I couldn't, I didn't know how to quit. So what I did was I changed my frame of mind and I started telling myself, I am an athlete who doesn't like junk food. Mm. Now, at first my mind was like, huh, you don't like junk food. What are you talking about? Yes. But I continued to tell myself that. And eventually, I swear to God, I stopped liking junk food. And I went for 20 years without eating any junk food, and I never missed it because I didn't like it. It's all a mindset. I think that's really cool to talk to yourself in that way, defining what you do and do not like, and then the body follows suit. Yeah, exactly. And it's not about being phony. I mean, it's about bridging the gap between who you are now and who you want to become. Yeah, You know, and our bodies have a natural intelligence that is informed by our mind. And one of the things I wondered is when you perform, Christine, and just, Mm -hmm. I mean, you're you're up in the air. How does it feel? How does your body kind of take over? And what are you thinking? What is your experience being up there, sometimes 80 feet in the air on the French rope or the silks? Can you talk to our listeners about that experience? Yeah. Well, it's a lot like walking where if you've done it enough times, you, you actually stop thinking. And I notice when I'm on the silks that I've done the skill so many times that if I do try to think about what I'm doing, I mess myself up. <laughs> I, mm. I actually one time was doing a show in a symphony and there's a movement that I have to do where I kind of do a pirouette and I flex my foot and I land in a single ankle hang. And just for some stupid reason during the show, I thought, I wonder what would happen if I pointed my foot instead of flexed my foot. Yeah. And I got in the biggest knot that took me forever to get out of. It was so embarrassing. Oh, no. Because you thought too much. Yeah, I thought too much. If I just let my body, trust trust my body and let it do what it already knows how to do, that's when I'm safe. So, yeah. And isn't. Isn't that a metaphor for what you were saying earlier about even you and Jonathan selecting an apartment in Santa Monica to go with your gut instead of overthinking it? If you would have thought about it, you might have selected that apartment based on where it is. And this should be a good place to live. But you said no intuitively. So I think that's such an important message for our listeners to to take. And just as a reminder to ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Yep. You know, I was curious, too, you're, you, you're really close to your parents and your mom's not 
with us anymore, mm-hmm. but your dad. And hello to your dad. I wanted to give him a shout mm-hmm. out. Um, I wonder what role did your parents play as you were, you went to two high schools for our listeners mm-hmm. to know. One was academic. One was for dance, New Orleans Creative yep. Center of the Arts. So New Orleans I, I was Center curious. of Creative Arts, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I get it jumbled. Um, <laughs> can you talk about, you know, the role, your parents and, and that piece of your life? Absolutely. My parents were amazing. Um, Super, super supportive, loving. Um, They never pushed me. They always offered me opportunities to try different things, to find my hell yeses, you could say. Um, And then once I did, well, when when it came to going into acrobatics, they told me I had to stick with it for at least six months and then I could quit if I wanted to because they knew that I wouldn't see any progress for at least six months. Um, but I just continue to love it. But they were always super supportive. Um, now, I didn't grow up rich. My, I, my my parents were not rich. And I remember there were times in order to, to afford my career as an aerial, or as an acrobat, we had to go without electricity, you know? There were yeah. times, you know? So I am super grateful for my parents. My dad, he um, was one of the people that helped to get my sport to become an Olympic, considered an Olympic sport. Did he? Went that far. Yeah. And I didn't know on, that. Yeah. And he actually put on a world cup, which is a huge endeavor. It's like, imagine putting on the Olympics, you know? Yeah, it is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And he only wow. had a hundred dollars in the bank when he did. <laughs> wow. So yeah. your family, very vision and goal driven. Absolutely. My dad, when he was putting on the World Cup, I remember he probably didn't, I don't think he slept for like a year. I think he slept two hours a night for a, a year. We're making yeah. it happen. Yeah, they were great. My parents, amazing, super grateful. When you talk about gratitude. <laughs> I hear that in your voice, even as you're saying this. Yeah. What else is important for our listeners to know that you are sharing now when uh, you're not touring, doing aerial acts? Well, um, let's see. I am, well, I'm traveling. I told you I'm traveling to Los Angeles in a couple of weeks, which I'm pretty excited about. I'm going to be going there for Thanksgiving with my husband and I'm going to be teaching some workshops while I'm in town and then be going to be traveling outside of town to perform with the symphonies. And then in January, I'm going to spend the entire month of January in Japan touring. So I'm pretty excited about that. And you spent time in Japan as a high school athlete, right? You did something. They would bring you to Japan to teach, perform. There was, I remember reading this. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I used to go to Japan every year when I was a teenager, um, when I was competing. The Japanese Gymnastics Federation and the owner of Fujifilm used to send, used to fly my partner and I, acrobatic partner and I out there every year where we made instructional books and videos and we did competitions with the world sports fair. And we went on tour and did exhibitions all over the country. It was super fun. (laughs) So yeah, I'm pretty excited about going back. I haven't been back there since I was a teenager. And going back now as an adult, how exciting. I know. Right. I can't wait to see how it was. I remember that when I was there, it was like being in the future. (laughs) So I'm wondering how futuristic it is still now. Exactly. one of the quotes I come across that that you live by is mm-hmm. if you want to fly, you have to give up what brings you down. Can, yeah. can you talk to us about this perspective? Yes. Um, do you want me to tell you a story? Yeah, however you'd like to answer it. <laughs> okay. It just so, struck me as, as really resonating. Well, let's see. Um, how can I start with this? When, 
when I was, after I had um, re- left that relationship with my ex, I uh, started working for an entertainment agency and I was just a background cast member and I was dancing and tumbling and I really liked doing that, but it wasn't really still my dream or anything. But one day the entertainment agency asked me if I'd be willing to learn three basic aerial tricks for an upcoming show that they wanted to choreograph me into. And I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) So I started driving every Thursday, four hours from Orlando to Miami where I trained in a 110 degree warehouse with an old acrobatic teammate of mine. Mm. And we started training on something called the cord de lice, which is an aerial rope. And I- Very painful. I can tell our listeners, really painful, very (laughs) unforgiving. Exactly. (laughs) Now I started climbing one climb at a time, like an inchworm. And the first time I managed to climb up to the top, I was so exhausted that I slid down the rope like a fireman's pole. Oh, yeah. And I stepped off the rope. If you're an aerialist, you'll know where I'm going with this. <laughs> but I looked at my hands and I had torn all the skin off my palms and fingers. Mm-hmm. So horrified, I thought, oh, my God, like, this is the end of my aerial career before I ever even began. I haven't even started and it's over. Only two minutes later, my coach says, up again. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Look at my hands. And he said, I'm sorry. Christine, but it's the only way to build up enough strength. So I kept climbing and with the bloody I bloody hands, right? That you wrapped oh, in like actually, toilet paper and yeah, duct I tape. In, exactly. Oh. I wrapped them in toilet paper and duct tape and I kept climbing and I climb until my forearms swell as large as, large as Popeye's. Yeah. <laughs> and my hands were swollen like claws. And that evening I stumbled into my hotel room and I was bleeding from my holes in my hands, hips and feet. And I laid down and I was frozen in pain and I was just too tired to even cry. I didn't know what to do. Only my thoughts had energy and they berated me and they're like, I cannot take this pain. I am too old. I'm not strong enough. Like I had all these doubts in me and I just knew that I wasn't good enough. Now, I don't think I had ever felt that uncomfortable before. Mm -hmm. So I lay there for a long time feeling sorry for myself and intending on quitting. Finally, I pulled myself up and I looked myself square in the face in the mirror and I asked, what do you want? Like, what do you really want? Mm -hmm. And I heard this little voice inside me whisper, I want to fly. Now, frankly, I didn't want to hear that voice because I knew that it was going to be hard. And worse, it made me question whether I really wanted the things in my life, including my job, my home, and at that time, the man in it. So that was really hard to look at, which made me even more uncomfortable. So first I said, like, enough is enough. We're going home. I started packing my suitcase. And then I stopped because I realized that no matter how ridiculous the idea of becoming an aerialist seemed, the truth was... I wanted to fly. Yeah. And that quote that you were telling me, saying that attributing to me actually comes from Toni Morrison. And she said, if you want to fly, I hope I can say the word shit. <laughs> if you want to yeah, fly, of course you can curse. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to fly, you have to give up the shit that weighs you down. Which oh. I love. I love that quote. I love it too. Yeah. And it was like there I realized that there were two things weighing me down that I had to give up. And one was that were my doubts about myself. They had to go. And the second thing was I had to give up being comfortable for a while. 
So if you want to like have your dream, you have to make space for discomfort because it's not always going to be easy, you know? Right. Yeah. Yes. I love that story. And I think the principle from it is, is when you were pushed, one of the principles that I kind of had a vision of, you were pushed beyond your comfort level, sliding mm-hmm. down the rope, your hands are bleeding and it's like, you feel like you can't do it. And your trainer's like up again. And and yeah. you found that reserve of strength you didn't even know was there, whatever it was that pulled yeah. your body up the rope. And then when you thought to pack your bags, again, something stopped you. And I mm-hmm. think it's in our daily lives as we live them, typically, I don't think we're challenged to that extreme. So yeah. I encourage my clients when they feel stuck to go do something radical. Like I started rock climbing it again in Los Angeles. Yeah. When I wasn't on the rocks at, at a park, I would just go to the gym where you're in the harness and, and up on the wall. And it took me, Christine, this last trip, four weeks. It took me a month to get up this one route. And I was like, right. that fucking route because it wasn't as much about the route as it was the metaphor of life that we stop. I seem to stop at the same point, every climb. Cause it was so high off the air. I got scared, even though I knew yeah. I was, I'm on a rope, but I couldn't get past that height. So I made myself. And when I finally accomplished it twice, it was so really not about the wall, but it's about the ways we limit ourselves because of our fear. Exactly. Yeah, that that what you're doing now and teaching and speaking to people with a lot of credence and ability to stand and say what you've accomplished and the fears that you've had to face and move through and not coming from means and your family not having electricity to fund your dream. And you taught yourself the silks and you spent almost all the money you had on your first promotional video to get your first job. So I think it's a, you know, for listeners to just know whatever it is, that you want to just start stepping out in that direction and find a mentor to help you. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, like if, if you can come to the place where instead of judging something as negative, you can simply accept it and embrace it as part of the journey, you're going to be so much stronger than when you started. Yeah, I agree. And, and even for listeners, if they have not taken an aerial class, I know you train people privately when you're in, say, Los Angeles or wherever you are. Can you talk about how people can reach you if they wanted to? Absolutely. With yeah. And about your retreat center with Jonathan in Costa Rica? <laughs> yes. So there, I have two websites. First, one of them is my name, which is christinevanloo.com, spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E. V-A-N-L-O-O.com. And the other website, which is our Costa Rican aerial retreat website, is uh, airbornearts.com, A-I-R-B-O-R-N-E-A-R-T-S.com. And you can reach me through email either way through those. I'm Even though I travel, I'm always checking my emails. I'm a compulsive email checker. Yeah. <laughs> and so for people to come to your you and Jonathan's Costa Rican resort, because it looks beautiful. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So our retreat center is in the southwestern part of Costa Rica. It overlooks the tallest waterfall in Costa Rica, which is actually a 1,200-foot waterfall. Oh, wow. Um, It's it's, not 1,200 feet? One of the falls is 600 feet. The whole thing is 1,200. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I'm actually laying in bed and looking to the right, to my right, at a 1,200-foot waterfall, to my left um, at the ocean. And oh. in this, to the middle, there's this valley of like seven layers of mountains with toucans flying around. <laughs> it's really magnificent here. 
Um, we have a flying trapeze on our land. We have an open aerial yoga acrobatic deck. Um, there are amazing adventures in the area, like the most beautiful waterfalls that you'll find in the world, paragliding, beautiful beaches. There, it just is so beautiful here. And you can come and stay with us and go on adventures or take classes or there's just so many options. <laughs> It's amazing. So how can, so if people go to airbornearts.com, mm-hmm. they can find out the classes that you offer yes. and the periods of time that are available. Absolutely. We have classes all year long, actually. We just have retreats at certain times of the year, but you can always come and stay with us and take classes. So if we're not having a retreat at that time, just ask us, Hey, can we have a retreat this week? <laughs> and we'll, oh, that's wonderful. So, yeah, absolutely. It's easy. So um, I have a question for you. I'm, I'm going to kind of answer it first because I feel uh-huh. so lucky to have found just for fitness, the aerial arts. It started for me, a friend, Alicia Sanchez Pelk invited me to Atlanta. She was training with a Cirque du Soleil trainer and she's like, I think you would love this. Do you want to come do a duet on the static trapeze and the silks? And I said, hell yeah, I've never <laughs> even heard of it. So I trained with her just for fun and I fell in love and came back to New Orleans and found Lorelai Ash that moved here from New York and trained with her for four years. And again, I never performed. That wasn't my Mm -hmm. intention, but it was for strength and for developing my confidence because there's nothing like, you know, being so high up in the air, wrapped up in these silks and pain, like pushing through every fear and thing that you're told is acceptable to do. And and your body starts to learn how to do these movements. And and from Lorelai and then Molly Pate of the New Orleans Symphony, when you perform Mm -hmm. here with Stark the Symphony encouraged me to reach out to you and training with you has just been, it's, it's just so confidence building. So I wonder for you, what metaphors or does, has aerial acrobatics yes. kind of meant to you? Absolutely. That's a great question. So for me, the aerial silks is a wonderful metaphor because it is soft. And when I'm doing it, I feel very graceful and beautiful, but I also feel strong and fierce at the same time. And As a woman, particularly now, I feel like it's really important for us to feel beautiful but strong at the same time. So when I'm climbing the silks, I feel delicate and like, but not, excuse me, I'm not going to say delicate. I feel graceful. That's a better word. Graceful and beautiful, but strong. (laughs) And I love that about that. Yeah, that's the epitome of the divine feminine is combining grace with strength. So that makes sense to me. Absolutely. And it's also just a wonderful apparatus in that you are exercising not only every muscle in your body and your flexibility, but you're exercising your mind because it's like a puzzle to going to these different wraps and you have to learn creativity in order to make them look, you know, look interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole full body work, full body, full mind workout. Full body and mind. It's everything like synergized into into one. Yeah. So we have a couple minutes left. What would you like to leave listeners with, Christine? Oh, um, well, uh, I have been performing and teaching and doing retreats for a long time, and my I am and giving speeches. And if anybody out there is interested in any of those things, please check out my website because I would love to do more. <laughs> I want to yes. come and speak and share and be part of people's lives. So, yeah. And that would be at christinevanloo.com, correct? Yes, correct. And thank, thank you so you. much for having me here. 
No, Christine, thank you for taking your time out. And I'm just so happy the universe put us together in our lives in this lifetime. Same here. I've loved being your friend. Me too. I can't wait to mm-hmm. see you and Jonathan. Same here. Wonderful. Then have a great day. You too. Take care. Bye, Lisa. Thank you. Bye. That concludes our show for today. I have been with Christine Van Lu of ChristineVanLu.com and Airborne, B-O-R-N-E, Arts.com. Join me next week for another show, and I hope everyone has a really good week. Bye-bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only.